Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 511. I am Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, Agent of Chaos, and not of M. Not of M. Lorraine, I took my first vacation in... Oh, yeah! I don't know. 18 months or something like that. Where did you guys go? We drove six hours each way to a state park in Pennsylvania. And I got a migraine on the way there, ended up puking three times overnight on the first night we were there, couldn't sleep. The baby had trouble sleeping. It was a terrible first day. But the next day we went on a boat. I was feeling better. We got a different bed for Catherine. She slept like a log. We all had a great time. We we saw family. What a M Night Shyamalan ending. Completely different than I thought. <laughs> yeah, but I realized I need to take more and longer vacation times. I think you do as well. Yeah, I'm going to see my parents for the first time in almost two years because they're all the way on the other side of the country and we've been avoiding flying and things and my parents are on the older side so I don't want to you know bring anything to them but I'm very excited to take a little vacation I was thinking of trying to work on that vacation and I'm thinking maybe I won't (laughs) don't do it vacation is for vacation Uh, hopefully everybody out there gets to have a holiday if you will. But we're not here to talk about all that stuff. We are here to talk about everything happening this week in Marvel that we're excited about from games, comics, movies, TV, and so much more. Lorraine, what's the hype? The hype is Marvel Studios. What if? Mm -hmm. The first episode of Marvel Studios. What if? Which is what if Captain Carter was the first Avenger is now available to watch on Disney Plus. Go watch it right now. It's so exciting to get to see the full episode. And it's such a good one to kick off with because I think Peggy Carter is such a heart within the Marvel Universe, as is Steve Rogers. So it is so fun. Yeah. Driving on interstates this week, seeing billboards. I saw billboards for Marvel Studios. What if? It's just so cool to see Captain Carter front and center looking all awesome. Now, if you want some background, some catch up stuff over on Marvel.com, our pal Christine Din put together an article on everything you need to know going into the series. Uh, It's got character overviews, breakdown of the premise, and so much more. Definitely check that out. Also very cool, Marvel Studios' Black Widow has arrived early for purchase on all major digital platforms. You can purchase it right now. It will also be available on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD on September 14th, so just a few weeks from now. And of course, You can also check out some really awesome stuff that comes with the film, including never-before-seen footage, including nine deleted scenes, gag reels, and lots more. There's so much cool stuff, not to mention the Ultra HD quality is really awesome. I just got a new TV, so I'm really excited to see it be pretty on my new TV that doesn't have a flicker in the center of it like my old one. (laughs) All right, let's move on to the next Marvel Studios film, Marvel Studios Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. We got new character posters of both our friends in the movie and the foes, and it's just looking so good. I love Simu Liu, who is just hyped and ready for this film to release in theaters everywhere September 3rd. You're going to experience it. You're going to love it. It's going to be incredible. Oh, and Ryan, Ryan, listen to this. Okay, everyone, Marvel Studios Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings red carpet world premiere has just today been announced. It's going to be on Monday, August 16th at 845 Eastern, 
5.45 Pacific time. You can watch it at marvel.com slash Shang-Chi premiere or at Marvel or at Shang-Chi on social media. And of course, follow the hashtag Shang-Chi premiere throughout the night. I am so excited for everyone to see it. I wish I could be there, but I can't because I have my own traveling stuff going on. But it's going to be so awesome. Definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. Also, we've got some cool stuff from Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy video game. There's a new cutscene from the game that shows the Guardians getting to know Lady Hellbender, everybody's not best friend. <laughs> and then players get to choose which monster they're going to sell her, Groot or Rocket. Sad. But it ignites a chain of events that lead to their journey across the cosmos. The game is going to be available on October 26th, which is insanely soon. We also did a really wonderful episode with the folks who worked on the game a couple of weeks ago. So if you haven't listened to that and you want to know more about the game, definitely go listen to that. Yeah, and I, I anticipate we'll probably do some more around the game, especially as we get closer to that release date, which is in two and a half months. Wild. More game stuff that is happening right now. Gamora has arrived in Fortnite, and she joins the fight to help protect the Fortnite island from trespassers. So the Gamora Cup took place actually just passed on August 11th. Players competed for an opportunity to win the Gamora outfit, but good news, if you did not participate in that, the Gamora outfit will be available in the item shop beginning August 14th. So you can still get your hands on it. You just got to give them them sweet, sweet monies. It's so funny, but whenever I think of Gamora in video games, I always think about how I obsessively played Diablo 2 over and over for like two years and how my little barbarian character was named Gamora and I would talk with a funny voice and (laughs) talk about what she was doing. And now those two things are one in my brain. So that exists. Anyways, moving on. Oh, this is really cool. Marvel's first official digital collectible release this week on Vivi. I've been talking with the Vivi folks a bunch and they are wonderful. The first collaboration was released on Saturday, August 7th, and it is based on Spider-Man. And it sold out almost immediately on all the different versions. And I was like, dang, they were like, pew out the door. It was wild. It's a Spider-Man digital statue. There are also animated versions of it, but it came in different rarities and prices. There's like a common, uncommon, rare, ultra rare, and secret rare. But I love the community. I hear from a lot of the folks who are big into Vivi, and they're excited. They're supportive. They want more. They're happy about it. It's really pretty amazing. And Look, we're collectors, right? You and I, Lorraine, have so much stuff. We collect all kinds of things, whether it's me with Transformers, you with various different statues and other stuff. My wife upstairs has a huge collection of uh, tiki mugs. Like, everybody has their thing. I think Vivi is finding a really cool place because these are digital collectibles that you can show off and you can have, like, your own little displays and all this stuff in there. But the Spider-Man drop is really the first of many that we're going to do with Vivi. So you have digital statues, digital comic books, other digital collectibles coming this month, which Vivi is calling Vivi's Marvel Month. I think the the ones that we've announced so far are Marvel Comics number one, which is the first Marvel comic book, obviously released in 1939. Folks in Vivi will have the opportunity to collect five different variant versions of the issue. Each version will have a different cover, a different level of rarity, and they're offered in a blind box format for only $6.99. So that's pretty cool. I'm obsessed with blind boxes, Ryan. When Vinylmations first came out, I spent so much money just on the simple fact, like I would go to Disneyland and come back with like 20 Vinylmations because I'd be like, I just want, I want to know what's in the box. I did the same thing. I've 
been slowly like giving mine away. But, you know, talking about Vinylmations, there's also going to be Marvel Mighties, which are a new line of Super D figures making their debut on the VV app. And the first collectible will be a Captain America series that features Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson, Bucky Barnes, John F. Walker, and the Red Skull. And each of these digital figures will have a different level of rarity, and they'll be sold, again, in blind box format for $13. And everybody out there, if you want to get your hands on any of this stuff from Vivi, the Vivi Digital Collectibles app is available on iOS and Android. You can get in there, check out all the Marvel NFT stuff and plenty more. If you want to learn more, go to vivi.me. That's V-E-V-E dot M-E. One thing we've been missing this year is Free Comic Book Day, which normally Mm -hmm. happens in May. But thankfully, Free Comic Book Day is here. It is Saturday, August 14th 2021 i think many of you may listen to this a little bit afterwards or if you're listening to it beforehand make sure you go find your local comic shop see if they are participating and then go there enjoy the glory that is free comic book day what do you get when you go to free comic book day free comics we've got a couple of titles there we've got a free comic book day issue of avengers which is written by jason aaron with art by ivan coelho and brian reber There's also some other stories in there. There's a Hulk story by Donny Cates and Ryan Otley tying into their upcoming run on the book, which is going to be phenomenal. And then there's another free comic book day issue you can get your hands on. It's a Spider-Man issue. And there's two stories in there. There's the story by Zeb Wells with art by Patrick Gleason. And it's really cool. Ties into what's coming up for the Spider-Man comic, starting with issue number 75 of Amazing Spider-Man. And then there's a brand new Venom story by Ram V and Al Ewing and Brian Hitch, and it looks gorgeous and cool, and it ties into the upcoming Venom story. So really, if you want to get clued into what's coming up in some of the big Marvel comic stories, you got to check out Free Comic Book Day. Again, go to your local comic book shop. Go to freecomicbookday.com to find out who's participating. Get yourself some free comics. All right, let's move on to giant size Black Cat Infinity Score number one. is coming our way this November. Fans, of course, originally found out about the whereabouts of the Infinity Stones in Infinity Destinies, which spun out of Infinity Score. But now Giant Size Black Hat Infinity Score is the conclusion of the Infinity Score. It's written by our favey fave, Jed McKay, with art by C.F. Bia. I can't wait for November. Good stuff. And we have some other stuff coming up for November, right? Yeah, we recently just got a first look at X-Men Inferno, which, I mean, come on, we've been talking about Inferno for a while. This is- Yeah, burn it. Yeah, right. Oh, Jonathan Hickman's upcoming limited series that'll really pay off seeds that he planted in House of X and Powers of Ten. We put out some of these teasers recently with art by R.B. Silva, and it's really fun because they are kind of an homage to the original Inferno crossover from 1989 and the way they're they're structured and put out. Our leaders can't be trusted. Our allies can't be trusted. Our enemies can't be trusted. Trust no one. Blah, blah, blah. blah. That's just for dramatic effect. I'm excited to check it out. Also, we've got some cool stuff from Marvel Legends. Man, they revealed a whole bunch of new Marvel Legends series figures this week during one of their Hasbro Pulse fan first live streams. There are some really cool retro figures. There's Retro Fantastic Four, Thing, Mr. Fantastic, Invisible Woman, Human Torch, High Evolutionary, Psycho Man. There's also going to be a, this is an exclusive, it's a clear invisible woman and a powered down human torch. 
And then we have the Hand Ninja Troop, some X-Force multi-pack with Domino, Richter, and Cannonball. Just a whole bunch of really awesome new action figures. And they're so detailed and so cool. And that dives perfectly into our interview this week. We are talking with one of our besties, Jesse Falcon, uh, one of the creators of the Marvel Legends line, along with Dwight Stahl, who is one of the shepherds of all Marvel action figures right now. He's on the design team for Marvel Legends, doing some really, really cool work. Shout out to Ryan Ting and Dan Yun from the Hasbro Marvel Legends team as well, pals of ours. We are talking a lot about their careers and stuff like that, but specifically, we want you all to back Galactus. The HasLab Galactus is now currently still going on. As of our recording, we are over 80% of the way to funding Galactus. It is looking good. I'm feeling excited. But when we recorded this, it was pretty early on. We had just revealed it. We hadn't at that point talked about all the different things. So now we've revealed that there is a Frankie Ray Nova six inch figure that it's like if we get to the the main funding of 14,000, if we hit another milestone, we'll unlock Frankie Ray. So you get Frankie Ray along with your Galactus. So we want as many people as possible to go to HasbroPulse.com and check out the HasLab for Galactus. Support the Devourer of Worlds in his lunchtime endeavors. It's going to be fantastic. Let's get into that interview now with Jesse and Dwight. Awesome. I am very delighted to have two sweet boys join me on This Week in Marvel today. Jesse Falcon of uh, Marvel Toys and Disney and Dwight Stahl of Hasbro and Marvel Legends. Jesse, how are you? Great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Dwight, how you doing? I've always wanted to be a sweet boy. This is amazing. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm good to go. <laughs> you, you've always been a sweet boy. It's just now publicly everybody knows it. We are here. We're going to talk about all kinds of Marvel Legends stuff. We're going to talk about Marvel Legends Galactus, the HasLab project that's going on. But I want to dig into things. First, I want to know your Marvel origin stories. So, Dwight, what is your Marvel origin story? How would you first get connected to the Marvel characters? My parents would always, every uh, Christmas, but... St. Nick's Day? I don't know. There was some weird holiday in early December where you could put your stockings out to get something. And I can't remember what it's called because I'm I'm old. But they would always show up a comic book in my stocking. So that was like my first tasting of the Marvel Universe. And, you know, it was just kind of like once a year, you just kind of got a comic book, which was always great. I still have some of them. Don't anything, uh, they have no value because I had two brothers they just put our names all over the front of them so you know it just says dwight really big on the front of like a couple of iron man and issues like that but no i guess my real deep dive into marvel was when i was in high school me and my best friend drew would go to a hobby store by our house and right inside the door was just the the rack of comics and uh you know first and foremost was the uncanny x-men and that's back early 90s so like every couple of weeks you got a new fix and I started reading in both directions at that point. I would read everything new coming out and I started to try to, I guess that's when I first was exposed to back issues and I would try to go back in time to find out what I missed from the stories because I jumped right in at the master mold, was chasing them, the Reavers were chasing them and they all jumped through the Siege Perilous and they all got new kind of memories and they were scattered and, you know, Storm became a little kid. She met Gambit. 
Wolverine went and fought Lady Mandarin, who we found out was Psylocke, and so on and so forth. And it was just such crazy stories, but they were so amazing. And the art was so fantastic. The story writing was so fantastic. I just couldn't get enough. And I continued to read all the way through high school into college because it was just such a rich and amazing universe. Jesse, what about you? Oh, man. I was born with a Marvel spoon in my mouth. I literally learned how to read on Spider-Man Easy Reader comics when I was a kid. And I think I started making toys when I was in third grade just for things that I had seen on television and read about, but never, there was no toys to buy, you know, like uh, Battle of the Planets uh, was one of the big ones. Both of those things just crescendoed throughout my life. And then I started working. I got a job in 1994. Actually, I interned at Marvel in 91. It was an incredible summer. Matt Steinreck was there that summer. Joe Matararo was 16 years old. He was 16 and drawing his first eight-pager for Marvel Comics Presents. And I remember Bobby Chase, who was a fantastic editor for Marvel, and I think she still works in the comic book industry, getting into a heated debate about getting Terry Austin to ink Joe Matararo's work with someone who was like, you're not getting Terry Austin to ink a 16-year-old's work. And she got that to happen, and it looked insane. It's so beautiful and, you know, lots of great memories from that summer. But that summer was like, oh, this is a place I could spend the rest of my life. And uh, I'm currently trying to do that. What part of Marvel were you interning at? Uh, I was into the direct sales division. So Ski was up there. Jim Sokolowski, for anybody who doesn't know Ski, we, we loved him. We miss him. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the energy is infectious. You know, the bullpen was the bullpen. You know, it was nuts. Uh, John Romita Sr. was the guy who was running the bullpen. And like every day, you know, you'd see somebody else. Like I remember waiting for my interview and I was on the wrong floor. I was on the 10th floor, which is editorial. I had to go upstairs where they had the, the big spider web etched glass conference room. And I was sitting next to Mark Texiera. And I knew it was Mark Texiera because he had pages of Ghost Rider that he was trying to finish in the waiting room because I think he was on a deadline. I was, all these things were happening. And the only thing I can compare it to is there's an episode of The Simpsons when The Simpsons go to New York City and Bart Simpson tries to get into Mad Magazine. And like, they narrowly miss each other. And then like, when you open the door and see what Bart Simpson has missed, it's like, oh, this is where Bart would have spent the rest of his career. And he probably would have been heralded as a genius, you know, if he got to be there. And I was like, I felt like I got to step inside that place. And yeah, I've, I've held on for dear life ever since. <laughs> well, I'm glad you have. Now, how did you get into the toy side of things? And first, Jesse, you tell us, and then I want to hear from you, Dwight. Well, as I said, I had always been customizing toys. When I did the first thing, it was the Fiery Phoenix, the spaceship from Battle of the Planets. And um, I had so much fun making it that I was like, oh, this is great. And I made giant play sets for Star Wars with my dad. He worked for General Motors for many years, so he would bring home these like things that were just coming off of you know injection molding plastic dashboards. And I would use those as shapes, you know, for like, you know, this is where the Hoth base is. This is where my snow speeder can go into. I just had fun doing that. We moved a little bit when I was a kid. And I, I remember getting some great Hasbro three and three quarter inch G.I. Joe figures and some Kenner, the Hoth, Kenner, Han Solo. And because I'm living in England, and I realized there's this cool character named Judge Dredd. And I kit bashed my own Judge Dredd three and three quarter inch action figure to go along with all my other figs. And all the way through college, like even when I was in college, I was customizing action figures like crazy. I brought all of those customized action figures to my interview at Toy Biz. 
I set them all up, I just to the side, and the guy said, what, whatever is this stuff? I'm like, I, well, these are the things that I had made, and I thought maybe you would like to see them. And he's like, did you make all these? And he said, yeah. And he's like, did you do it by yourself? I said, yeah. He's like, you're hired. And he walked out of the room. I was like, oh, okay. That's, that's, uh... And I literally have had that same job for 27 years. So I love that. Dwight, what about you? Yeah, I started at Hasbro in 2002 full-time, working on G.I. Joe, Transformers, BTR, a handful of different things, kind of hopping around trying to find my home. And then 2006 came after I'd been there for about four years. And they said, we're going to pull you over to work on a new license that we just picked up, uh, Marvel. And I'm like, oh, cool. I remember those comic books. That was awesome. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Comics are great, but they're starting this whole new thing and they're going to be launching some new movies, you know, Hulk and Iron Man. And I'm like, sounds great. Let's do it. Let's have some fun. I was doing what two lines at the time I was doing something called Superhero Squad which were cute little uh, guys that were kind of inspired by our Galactic Hero line, which was a Star Wars kind of like really cute and chubby kind of characters. And uh, they were a lot of fun. They were so colorful. It was like I instantly fell, re-fell in love with the universe because the depth of characters was, I mean, I remember those like 89 handbooks. You know, those things were fantastic, right? And you would flip through those and you would just learn about all the different characters, you know, that were out for that year. And I still have those somewhere in the basement, but... You know, to learn that there was so much more to this universe and it was so deep. And they're like, okay, great. This is awesome. You're also going to get this brand called Marvel Legends. And we're going to have you work on that. And I'm like, okay, cool. I go, I remember buying uh, some of those uh, Toy Biz figures at uh, good old KB Toys and stuff down the street. And I had them in my office and they're like, okay, cool. Let me introduce you to a handful of people. This is Joanne and Jesse and Damon and Alan Vine. And, you know, you're going to be working with these guys on all this stuff. And we're like, cool. And I just kind of like Jesse, I've been holding on tooth and nail to never let go because the Marvel Universe is so rich and so deep. And it's so much it's so fun and so challenging. And every year it's something new to dive into because you got a massive awesome pile of publishing endeavors every year and a ridiculous amount of movies to go along with that. And now Disney plus there's just, it's just a plethora of riches because every year you have something new to do. And it's a little bit different than the year before, whether it's the movies or the stories have a mystical hook or a technical hook or a cosmic hook or, you know, a family hook. It's like everything is new and different, which is as a designer, it's amazing to be able to look at things differently year to year and always find something new to mine out of it and translate it into our wonderful little plastic friends. Yeah. Dwight, you mentioned Marvel Legends. Jesse, you were there for the start of Marvel Legends. How did Marvel Legends begin? Joanne had challenged me. We were about to make the first Spider-Man movie with uh, Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire. And we had been making Spider-Man and stuff in and out for years. And she challenged me to try to make like a, a more collectible line. Everything we had done up until that point was five inches in scale. And I was coming home from Comic-Con and I was looking at a lot of the 12 inch action figures that were made at the time by Dragon. The, the bodies that you see on typical like Hot Toys figures, they're really well made. They have insane articulation. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, you know what? I bet we can probably do this at half the size, make all of this movement and compact it in a half the size. That was my aha moment. And then we did it with Spider-Man for a line called Spider-Man Classics. And it was, it had all of the basic components that Legends would become. Insert a comic book. There was a display base variants. And I just remember I got test shots in. And test shots are like the very first samples you get from the factory. They're typically not in the correct plastic. They typically don't work very well. The seals on the joints are very loose. And the test shots that I got were actually in pretty good shape. And I sat there 
Friday night for like three hours and I had one of those very first digital cameras with like a disc, like a floppy disc for the storage. And I'm sitting there playing with it. I'm taking pictures of it. And I'm like, there's something here. Like there's something really fun about the posability of this and being able to like make it have the poses that the character in the comic books or the movies do. We ran that line for a couple of assortments. It did really well. And we said, let's open this up to the wider set of brands. And Joanne came up with the idea of the name Marvel Legends and the rest is history. We were doing it for a long time. And it, it's had several different variations throughout its history. And I'm just so excited that almost 20 years in, it's still going, it's stronger now than it ever has been. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. And when you say we, you're talking about Toy Biz, the toy company that was part of Marvel. Toy Biz is gone, but the DNA is still in there and all the toys and sort of the storytelling that we do. Well, the interesting thing is like that it would survive the jump from one toy company to the other is huge. That typically doesn't happen. I think historically, if you look at toy brands and the way that things work, when a toy company gets acquired by another company, it's, you know, those things don't typically happen that way. But, um, you know, it not only was absorbed by, but, you know, we've really, I think in the last, Dwight, correct me, five years, six years, like it's really taken on a life of its own. Oh yeah. It's become a huge piece of business for us at Hasbro. And it's just, I want to think that it's like one of the largest fan lines, if not the largest fan line at Hasbro. I mean, the depth of characters, the amount of odd things we get to do. You know, it was originally just Build-A-Figures, you know, and now we do piles and piles of exclusives and we have deluxe items and super deluxe and, you know, amazing year-end programs for the last five years or so where we celebrate some massive Marvel milestone. And every time we do that, we get to dive into the wells and we all get together in conferences and conference calls and we just discuss where we can go and what's next. And it's led to some absolutely fantastic toys, including the latest things, which are some of those giant figures that we just started doing last year. The toddler-sized toys, as I like to think about them. <laughs> They're bigger exactly. than that. My... They're heavier than that. I want to talk a little bit about sort of the process of conceiving and designing. You, you mentioned a little bit, you guys get on these phone calls and things come together, but really what goes into that process? On the show a lot, we hear from comic book creators or people in the movies and get a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but I don't, we don't get a lot of sense of what the step-by-step -step is for action figures. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of heated conversations. You know, we all come to the table with a different background, a different age and a different era of things about Marvel that we love, which is fantastic. You know, it allows us to have a unique perspective that when you blend it all together, you usually come up with something really magical. And it all starts with a theme, right? What's the next piece of entertainment or publishing arc that we want to wrap a story around? And let's just focus on a build a wave. So you know, if there's a piece in publishing or a movie, like just because it's easy Endgame, right? We have all these great characters. We do a lot of MCU stuff, but we also want to make sure we're not forgetting the fans of comics. So we try to find comic characters that mix into those worlds. Jesse and I will argue and fight for, I don't know, a week and a half duration, usually going back and forth over. This is the wave I want to do. This is what Ryan and... Uh, and and me have a line to what do you Ting. think ryan ting yeah yeah over at hasbro and jesse's like this is wonderful you spent a lot of time on this and i can tell that you really really care and i'm going to cross out these five characters immediately you're not going to do this one we're not putting this one here you already did this one cross 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 and then he'll send back a whole list of things what about these and we're like those are awesome jesse 
I can't put that guy in this wave, so I'm going to respectfully cross out this one and this one. And we kind of go back and forth for, you know, a little while trying to get the right character selects. And once we finally net on something that makes both Mr. Falcon and the Hasbro side happy, then we dive into it. Then we start working on gathering reference, whether it's comic panels, whether it's MCU reference provided by the studios, which is always fantastic. And and often, like for the big anniversary movies, we get 3D data from them, which is fantastic when you're trying to actually recreate an actor, you know, to actually get scanned data of their faces is a huge, huge jump forward in technology compared to where we were 10 years ago when we were just like, here's some photos, do the best you can. And you're like, well, what's he look like from the other side? And you're like, I don't know, Google it. And you're like, oh, okay. So, I mean, I guess honestly, it's no different with comics, right? It's like, but what do his feet look like? There's not a panel with this guy's feet. What the hell's going on with the rest of the costume? And we try to find all those bits and pieces and put it together. Dwight, I want to pause you right there. The two of you are having these conversations and you're going tooth and nail. It's never tooth and nail. Let's just let's just say that right now. <laughs> like brutal, yeah. like Slugfest. teeth at the throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Knives Covered out, really cutthroat. <laughs> yep. How far away from release generally are you at that conversation point? The back and forth of it, the kind of horse trading for what characters go in, that amount of time always depends on when it launches. But here, and this is the other thing that goes into this because it's not just about what characters are the most appropriate characters or what makes a strong wave. There's also the mechanics of it. Like the Hasbro team has a very rich and deep tooling library to pull from. And we're always trying to like, how many new characters that we're making from scratch? And a lot of those are earmarked for studio because oftentimes when the studio pitches us, we're seeing the movies as they're getting developed in their nascency because it takes about now as much time to make an action figure wave as it does for our studio to put a piece of content into the marketplace. Like to the point where they're like, okay, we have an idea. Sometimes those ideas have been baked for years. And I know that the studio team like works on things for many, many years, but to the point where they're like actually start pre-production on a piece of content, it takes about the same amount of time. So we're always waiting for the latest piece of assets to see if we're going to be able to utilize something that we have in our catalog, or if we have to commit that to a brand new piece. And that's always the balance. That's a big part of what we're trying to do. And I try to be very mindful of that because I had to do that before Hasbro did. So I understand their, their pinch points and try to help them get everything that they need in place so that what we have at the end of the day is a, a super strong Marvel Legends assortment with a great Build-A-Figure, but also it represents what we think people will be excited about. Jesse's a great partner. He always sends me flowers whenever he makes me cry over poor <laughs> character selections. You know, almost always. <laughs> So Dwight, you were saying you're getting the scans and which is a huge help these days. What is the sculpting process like? like? How many people are sculpting? And Jesse, were you guys sculpting in the office back in the Toy Biz days? Yeah, so Toy Biz days, we were one of the first companies that actually used laser scan technology. That was part of our pitch when we went after Lord of the Rings. We brought that team down to Wellington, New Zealand. We were there for three months. We scanned everything and anyone that would come near. This thing looked like a telepod from the movie The Fly. So people would come in and go, oh, wait, what is going on? Like, what are you going to do to me? And we used that. So like when we did Blade for Marvel Legends back in the Toy Biz days, or the Ben Affleck Daredevil, or the Thomas Jane Punisher, those were all developed by Gentle Giant. And that, that technology has just become 
omnipresent. And I want to go back to Lord of the Rings because I think it's pertinent to what we're here to talk about today to show people like how much the industry has changed in a better way for fans and collectors. But Dwight, how did you guys do it? Yeah, no, it's, it's a little bit different today because we no longer work in traditional wax means. That's where we were 10 years ago and further back. But like Jesse said, they were on the cusp of pioneering this new technology. And that's pretty much where everything's at for us now at Hasbro. We do have a bullpen of talented sculptors slash sculpt managers at Hasbro. We have two of them assigned to the Marvel business. And they work with a really rich talent pool of amazing vendors on the outside that help us to create so many characters. Because when Jesse was making Legends back in the day, they made, you know, six figures and then they had a little bit of a break then they made six more figures it's like the amount of characters we do in a year right now is i don't know how many jesse made at his biggest year but we're well over 150 items now just for the legends piece of the marvel portfolio which is a ton of figures so we can't do it with just a couple people anymore we have to have a whole team we actually bring in a lot of sculptors as a interns and temps to train them on the Hasbro way of doing things. And then if we're lucky enough to keep one or two of them full time, yay, it's a big win. If not, we give them their wings and send them back out into the community and say, we'll call on you when we need you. And then when we get done drawing an input for the sculpt, it'll get kicked off to our two internal sculptors, Dan and Jan, and they decide whether they're keeping it in-house themselves or whether they're sending it out to who knows who? Jesse mentioned Gentle Giant. We still use them today, as well as many other amazing, talented sculptors. And then after a few weeks, they will give us an update. They'll send us the prelim sculpts. And that's when I have my most fun. And that's when I start to redline the hell out of things. And you draw, you scribble, you know, it's now you just do it on a big computer monitor as opposed to on a sketch pad or in the old days where you had to take photos of things and scan them into the computer. Now it's all there. So and then we just draw a little over it and say, no, 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 that's great, but more like this. Or move this detail up so it doesn't cut through the articulation so we don't have to pay for it, decoing it twice. You know, a lot of little small tricks, but by the end of the day, you know, we have something that we're really proud of. And then we send it back to Jesse and he makes me cry once more and we uh, adjust it. And then by the time we're all set and everybody's happy and the studio has reviewed it if it's a studio product. If not, Jesse has reviewed it if it's comic-based. And once we're all happy, then we turn it over for development. It's pretty great. There's also, of course, the pieces that I, I always love, the accessories. You know, sometimes you got little extra pieces or extra hands or weapons, what have you. I just unboxed my arcade Marvel Legend. I just love his cane. He's just got a, like a <laughs> just a good feel of that cane. And I'm like he's now hugging Mr. Hyde over there. They're Kane brothers. But you've got the accessories, you've got packaging. I know I've seen some really great packaging art of late. I was thinking of the Age of Apocalypse line. The first wave of Age of Apocalypse had some really great packaging. How much is that part of the discussions? Are you fighting with those again for like, oh, we don't want this. We want to do this. Or is it just like now we're at the best part of it of like sealing the deal? I'm actually happy to say we have been in his team to handle all of the creative services side of the business. There's so much to do on my side. I'm very happy when I can just kind of check off my box and turn it over to the next amazing designer to do their thing. And I really like to me not personally step too much on Ben because he's so creative and he loves to have fun with every time we're looking to reimagine what legends could be or what's next or 
especially items like our big uh, exclusives, our PulseCon or our SDCC exclusives, where the rules are a little bit more flexible and you can do a lot more crazy stuff. Him and his team just go crazy, having a lot of fun, whether they find they work with Marvel New York, actually, a lot to find artists that we can use that are from the comics and find a, a talent that can take a break from a book or maybe they're not on an active book at that moment in time. And we can bring them into the fold to work on some Legends product. And they'll do that amazing art that you see on the sides or back of the packages over the last couple of years. And I know now we're transitioning to a lot of digital photography based on the actual sculpts. So we're trying to figure out what the next evolution is of using those amazing artists and where we can capitalize the best because I fell in love with the stuff because of art originally, right? That's what drew me into the Marvel Universe. So to have him and his team get to work with these amazing artists that if I'm lucky enough to get to run across them at a Comic-Con, it's such a huge treat to meet these amazing talents and see what they can bring to our line to elevate it and uh, once again, keep it fresh, keep it new and take it to the next level. Jesse, you mentioned the Lord of the Rings figures. I still have some that you gave me when you were leaving Marvel New York. You gave me a whole bunch of Lord of the Rings toys. I still have them here. And so I thank you for that. So what did you want to say about Lord of the Rings in relation to Galactus? Well, here's the thing that's really amazing right now about the toy industry. When we were doing Lord of the Rings, we were really bound by what we were able to sell at retail chains. Okay. And at that point, that was still KB Toys, Toys R Us, Target, Walmart, and then a lot of the, you know, game stops, things of that nature, and then the mom and pop comic book stores. And you really need a big buy-in from a significant retailer in order to manufacture a product to justify the tooling so that we could, you, you know, it's a business. You have to make enough money in order to put the product into the marketplace. And the Balrog, the giant character that the Fellowship fought in the Mines of Moria was a huge white whale for me because I built it a couple different ways to try to make it work. And every time we pitched it to retail, they're like, the box is just too big, guys. And also, this is going to be like 100 bucks or 120 bucks. And like, if I have a giant box that's basically the size of like, you know, when you go to Toys R Us, you go to the bike aisle, those giant bikes, like it's something that would be that big. And they're like, where am I going to put this in the store? Like, if I put this in the toy aisle, which is where it's supposed to go, because it goes with the range of Lord of the Rings figures, this is just going to gobble up a bunch of space that I would make more money with if I just put pegged... $10 action figures on there. And he, he wasn't wrong. So it was very difficult for us. And we eventually weren't able to make it. NECA, thank goodness for Randy Falk, was able to make a six inch scale, one twelve scale Balrog because NECA had the flexibility to sell this in a way that we did not. Cut to 2018, I wanna say. I go to Toy Fair and what do I see? But this massive, toy for Star Wars. It's Jabba's barge. And there's this new platform called HasLab. And boy, my head just started to race. I'm like, what are we going to get to do one of those? And we did. And it's really just the crowdfunding, crowdsourcing capability or comic books or toys or games. It's such a huge part of our business now. And it's really fantastic because I don't think Hasbro would be able to sell these items, these HasLab items at retail for the prices that we need to in order to justify them being manufactured and have the buying teams accept them. So it's really a great opportunity for us to partner and make something that we couldn't have never made in the past in a huge way. And you know, when we did the Sentinel, it was a great success. And now we've got, we've got the big kahuna here, which has been awesome to work out. But anyway, my point being that I'm just so excited that Hasbro pulled the trigger on this and made this a feasible means for us 
to deliver these very unique products into the marketplace. The way I look at it too is it, it's a guaranteed pre-order. Yeah. All it is is you know you as a fan as a collector me is just saying oh yeah I'm gonna pre-order this because I want to buy it and I'm pledging my money to say yes give it to me now. A lot of companies actually run their business this way. Hot Toys is one of them. You know they have these pre-orders. If the pre-order hits the vig, if they make total commitment that they need you to manufacture the item, then they make it. And if they don't, they don't. So it's just great that we can do this, you know, because this has been one of those spots where it's like, there have been items out there on the marketplace that have been made for the last couple of years. And one of them, again, thank you, Randy Falk, is NECA made a three foot tall Deadpool figure that I have in my office in Glendale. It's insane. So detailed. But I, every time I looked at that, I'm like, oh boy, why can't we? This is going to be great if we could ever do this for Marvel Legends. And don't need to talk about it anymore because we're here. Yeah. We do want to talk about the Marvel Legends Galactus, which is the HasLab project. Dwight, is there any difference in sort of the process and making and coming up with a project like Galactus since it's so big, 32 inches tall, 70 plus points of articulation, 300 pieces? Is there any difference in the process than what you've talked about already? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the size gives us the ability to truly make it like a dream project, you know, things that you wouldn't be able to afford or manipulate the plastic on a six inch scaled figure because there's just not room. Plastic needs to be a certain wall thickness to be manufacturable. And at one twelfth scale at six inches, that means it's a couple of millimeters. It only gives you so much. But when the whole figure is 32 inches tall, all of those dimensions scale and you can do a lot more with it. So we were able to cut into Galactus's skirt, make it a lot more pieces than you normally would see than, than we did in the last time we did a Galactus. So it's more poseable, it's more articulated. It has the ability to really enact the character on your comic books in all of its true glory. I mean, it's a figure like any other figure. I think the major differences are the engineering challenges that go along with a figure this size. Some people are like, you know, oh, why isn't the Sentinel out yet? We made it a year ago. Where's it at? It's like, well, true. We did fund it, you know, a year ago, but Hasbro has really high quality standards and we want to make sure that the experience delivers when it gets to your house and that you don't have broken parts and that things don't snap under the weight of the plastic and the joints. And these are, you know, massive compared to the size of the joints we normally do. So the engineering teams have to take a lot of care and love to make sure that it is sturdy and that a figure of this size will support itself, not just for today and for shipping, but for your shelves at home for the next 10 or 20 years. You know, it's like, who knows when the next time we'll have an opportunity to revisit these types of characters. So we want to make sure that it is a true dream project and that it fulfills that dream for you, the consumer, so that you can have it on display for many, many, many years to come, make it an heirloom and pass it down to your grandchildren one day. You know, put them on a baby stroller and take them for a walk with you. You know, it's like you don't need to be lonely anymore, you know, for <laughs> done and done. I have a twin stroller thing. I'm going to put the Sentinel in one and Galactus in the other. <laughs> what was the conversation like for Galactus for all of you? Jesse, were you just like Galactus, Galactus, Galactus? Or was it just like, yes, Galactus, everybody? I'll be totally transparent. I think we walked away from the Sentinel situation. You know, we hadn't done it before. So we're like, well, we have some learnings from here. So how do we apply that to what we want to do next? We knew that we wanted Galactus to be bigger. 
this is a show for us too. As much as it is like making toys, it's also a show. I feel that way, you know, when Hasbro takes stuff to Toy Fair or SDCC or has has Con or any of these events, you know, it's a presentation. It's part of it. And I feel like this was a nice crescendo for us. But, you know, Galactus is pretty straightforward. I think it felt like, and there's also been a lot of Galactus things in consumer products at varying degrees. Hasbro's made some stuff. Sideshow's made some stuff that is really spectacular. There've been a bunch of really high-end collectible partners. So we looked at everything and say, how do we take this idea and this design and how do we plus this up? And I think they did just a marvelous job and really killed it. Of course, everybody who hasn't seen it already can go to HasbroPulse.com, can check out the HasLab portion of the site to get all the details. There's more that Y'all haven't shown that hopefully we'll get to those tiers. You know, the more people that back it, the more people that support it, the more goodies. And I know the two of you, Mad Men, and the rest of the team have come up with some interesting choices, some great choices, <laughs> some that I was like, oh, my goodness, when I heard about them. So I'm excited. Yeah, you're the only other person that knows about it, Ryan. So you're the next guru to uh, have the insights. It's like we just teased a surfer and a Nova tier that we have not actually shown the figures yet, but there was a tease that we put out a, a few days ago showing those figures in silhouette form. But on the piece of art, there's a lot more space in there for another Herald or so to join the fray if we get there. And then Jesse has something really special for the final one if we're able to get there. He had a, a very unique curveball that he added to the mix that was something that I did not even know about till he's like, no, 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 here. And he started sending me some panels of a book and we're like, oh, well, that's interesting. I definitely would not have thought of that. And we, I mean, inside we're kind of like, I don't know. Jesse's, is Jesse gone crazy here? <laughs> I, I mean, this one's a bit of a stretch. He hasn't seen anybody in 18 months. He's been in this <laughs> dumb room with these comic books. All he does all day is uh, just mine these things. But then the minute we made it and we added it to the Galactus, we're like, oh, that's kind of awesome. Okay, kudos to you, Mr. Falcon. Golf clap, golf clap, sir. Thank you, thank you, appreciate it. I will say this, the John Byrne run on Fantastic Four was immensely impressed my childhood. I found X-Men comics right towards the end of the Byrne Claremont run. And I was really attracted to his art. Like if I would go to a comic book store and I would pick up a thing that he had done the cover for and I'd look at the inside and if he had not done the art on the inside, it wouldn't buy it. I became a John Byrne snob. But when I saw him on Fantastic Four, I, I was like, oh, that's a pretty interesting property. But I, And it wasn't until much later that I realized that like he had been so greatly influenced by Stan and Jack and kind of brought his own version of that action, adventure, family, like everything that is just the best about Fantastic Four into it. And his run on the Death of Galactus was absolutely fantastic for him to take that really high concept. It was almost like watching Aliens because you're like, oh, how can the sequel to Alien be better than Alien? And somehow it is. And it makes it bigger and it changes the type of story that they tell. It's not, it's bringing those characters back, but like, if that, then what? Which I love. And boy, it was great. So it was that was to get a chance to like kind of pay homage in, in any small way to all of the creators that worked on this character and helped bring him to life was really, really fun. As we're starting to wrap up here, I want to diverge a little bit. I know you, Jesse, you have a lot of wonderful artifacts in your house, but are you both collectors outside of the Marvel stuff that you make? What are some of your favorite pieces? Any holy grails that you want but don't have? Dwight, how about you? Uh, yeah, I am a collector. I have a massive uh, Lego minifigure collection 
It was something that I always wanted when I was a kid. And my parents bought me a few Lego sets, but you know, it wasn't as deep as I apparently needed in my life. So as an adult, I started going in and buying up the different sets and, you know, you build the sets, you take down the sets, you, you let the kids play with them. But the minifigures I would always pull out when I was done and I started building bleachers. And now I have a massive Lego mini collection in my basement. And I got a handful of uh, sideshow statues scattered around my office. Behind me is the Dark Lord Sauron, a giant sideshow statue of him because it's the one thing that my wife allows me to keep in the main living quarters of the house. That is a uh, you know, not normally something that she would have out, but uh, so I've got a, a handful of those statues scattered on my house in the office. And those are the things that bring me probably the most joy. Just, I like the evolution of development. You know, I love the toys that I played with with as a kid, but I would much prefer to have whatever is made today because it's typically a far superior toy. So I love the evolution of the industries, whether it's action figures or statues, what you can do now is arguably, you know, way more detailed and more awesome than what you would have had 20 years ago. And for me, that's the win. I, you know, that's the designer side of me is how can I do this better? What can I do next time to make something a better experience for myself and for the fans? Because I'm a fan myself and I want to make stuff that I want to be proud of and that I want to keep collecting. So Jesse, aside from human skulls, what do you collect? <laughs> Friends. You know, I'll be honest with you. I'm a non-denominational collector. If I see something and it hits me the right way, then I, I go buy it. I used to collect like crazy weird videos from like Comic Cons. You would see like, you know, six hours of all the Hammer Horror film trailers, just the trailers. And honestly, it's just like, oh my God, I love, I love movie trailers. And now you've got me into talking about the things I love, which will literally eat up the next seven hours. But like literally when I walk into Comic Con, it really is like, it's like going to a toy store when you're a kid, when we were kids, because when we were kids, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all these ways to like see things before, but you know, it was the JCPenney's catalog, you know? And when I had the JCPenney's catalog, and this is true, Empire Strikes Back was going to come out. I saw all the toys before they came out and I got a pair of scissors and I cut out the little figures, the teen in this big, and I'm like, oh, I'm playing with the cut out paper because I was so excited about this new fresh thing that I had not been aware of previously. And that's kind of what Comic-Con is like. Like, for instance, I'll give these guys a plug because they, they deserve it. Super 7 made a three and three quarter inch version of the Shogun Warriors Godzilla from Mattel that I had when I was a kid. I still have mine. I have a couple more just for backup. But boy, I'm like, uh, that's something I'm going to have to find a way to figure out that I need. And of course, I missed it. But like, I just like things that tickle me. And to Dwight's point, like I've over pandemic, I've gone back and I bought a lot of all the bad guys from the original G.I. Joe line, like the Intruder you know, the giant six-legged triceratops is over here on the corner. Just weird things that delight me. Like I said, it's not denominational. Good for you. Uh, I like that you love it all. Uh, all right, we're going to go out here. One last thing I want to plug. Any upcoming Marvel Legends releases that you guys are hyped about? Aside from, hopefully, Marvel Legends Galactus, HasLab getting funded. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking I'm very excited for the Hercules that's coming out. I know there's some what-if product that's coming. Yeah. What about for you guys, Dwight? Anything come to mind? I think the, the new Tigra figure turned out really awesome. We had done one of her back in 2007, 2008. It was a long time ago that we made her. So getting a chance to revisit, you know, some of those classic characters with modern technology and to do her in all of her pinless glory because everybody wanted the double elbows and now we have the ability to give them to the fans on females in a really, really quality way. So 
I think Tiger is probably one of my uh, favorite classic releases that's relatively new. And then I love the Ironmonger that we did for the uh, Infinity Saga program. That thing is massive and beautiful. And those are probably two of my favorite new figures that are out or coming out soon. And that Obi is wonderful. Tony Stark (laughs) built this in a cave. It's my favorite line of the whole movie. It's so good. It's so good. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, For anybody out there who wants to see more photos of Galactus in the wild, I would definitely check out Dwight's Instagram. Dwight, what's your Instagram? Stall Dwight. Stall Dwight. So that way you can see Galactus up against a bunch of figures, see it in scale, and uh, go out there. Go support the HasLab project for Marvel Legends Galactus. Support Dwight, support Jesse, support me so I can get my Galactus and, and have it stand next to my daughter. Boys? Thank you so much. I love you, buddy. It's great to see you. I love you too. Thank you so much to Jesse and Dwight for that awesome conversation. Of course, keep your eye over on HasLab Pulse for more cool stuff coming out in the infinite beyond of days that follow this day. But let's move on to the question of the week. Next week, we have professional wrestler Nikki A.S.H. And so we are asking what question, Ryan? So Nikki talks a little bit about how she was such a huge fan of the X-Men 90s animated series. She loved Rogue and Jubilee and specifically Storm. One of her first, if not her first, pro wrestling name was Nikki Storm in homage to Aurora Monroe. So with that in mind, if you were a professional wrestler, what Marvel name would you homage? Would you be like King Kong Wolverine? Because there was a King Kong Bundy when I was a kid. Or how about Bam Bam Galactus? I like that one. Ooh, Ryan Van Diemen would be really good. I'm surprised you wouldn't be like Modoc or something Modoc themed or like oh, Mo yeah. Rock. Oh yeah, Mo Rock. I'm gonna be Squirrel. Punch you in your grill. You could be the Scarlet Smash. <gasps> Scarlet Smash. Mm, I like it. Let's yeah. go with that. That yeah. sounds good. All right. You can tweet us your answers using hashtag this week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast.marvel.com or you can send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. And of course, please tell us if they are okay to read on this show. All right. Last week's question of the week was what is your favorite Marvel toy of all time? First up, we have Kai at the Keeper of Keys who says, when I was a little kid, I had the 2003 foam Hulk hands. I would run around hitting things, obviously including my sister, screaming, Hulk smash! I felt like the most powerful little girl on Earth. I beat Thanos and God was next. I missed those. That ending was my <laughs> favorite part of that tweet. Thank you, Kai. I also like the idea of a little girl running around being like, God is next. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next up, Jason at Books, Tea and Coffee says, I had a Thormigo. Always been my favorite hero. Sadly, my sister gave him a haircut. No. And I lost various pieces over the years. Oh, man. He has the most luscious, real Barbie style hair going on right now. It is so good. And a real, oh, he's got like the real outfit made of cloth. He's literally like a Barbie. (laughs) I love the Migos. They are ridiculous. They are, as you say, like the best dolls, period, (laughs) for everyone. Diane Permata Putri at DSDN 
says, I love my Loki mystery box from Free Comic Book Day 2020 because hail to the god of mischief. And they show off a box. The box is really cool. It's got a rainbow on it. T-shirt is wonderful. All that Loki goodness. Loki in his little Funko form. So cute. All right. Next up, DJD at SGB1279 says, simple toy, but gave me hours of enjoyment, shining Spidey's eyes around the room. I remember these. Oh my gosh. It's like a flashlight with a Spider-Man face that was like on the front of it. So it kind of got in the way of the flashlight, but it was really cool. That's great. Wolverfett at Wolverfett says, this is my favorite figure. I've had him for 10 years. He has moved with me four times, the last being from the UK to Lithuania, and he's still going strong. And they're holding a Scar, son of Hulk action figure, in all his loincloth-y glory. Next up, we have Scream Curse of Carnage at Scream of Carnage, which says our favorite Marvel toy is, of course, the stunning Marvel Legends Scream. Now, if only there was an official Mania or Andy Benton figures to go with her. Um, I really do love this figure. She looks so sassy. Yeah, those hands. Those hands are great. JJT at Radio Slay says Iceman, where you could throw him in the freezer and he changes color. Still have one in the package. And that's like a classic original toy biz wow. Iceman. i loved that i never had that figure but i always there was a picture of him on the back of that x-men line of, of toys and he has the ice slide and everything man that's so cool yeah next up jarell zod says i'd say hasbro marvel legends two-pack hulk and wolverine marvel legends has been putting out some great series of figures i really love the black panther figures too honestly yeah there's so many and i love some of the two packs and things they're really great we get an email from Dylan DeSalt, which says, For the question of the week, what is your favorite Marvel toy? It would have to be the Marvel Legends Iron Man 12-inch figure from 2015. Everything about this figure, from the articulation to the swappable head, this thing is amazing. I absolutely love the Marvel Legends fig. It is great. In my opinion, it's a must-buy for Marvel Legends collectors. And they shared a picture of that big, big 12 inches of Iron Man all red, chromy, looking fantastic. Next up, we got a message from Steve Agnew, which said, hey, Ryan, uh, this was Ryan's personal email, which I read all of the time because mm -hmm. he doesn't lock his computer. Nope. In the last year or so, I occasionally listen to Pull List or Twim while riding around with my 21-year-old son. Recently, he's been putting down the phone, listening and talking with me about comics. Shocked. So from one dad to another, thank you to you and your family. Have a great weekend. Steve, that was such a great message to get. We shared it with the team, and thank you for letting me share it with the world. Hello, Jack. Thanks for listening with your dad and being awesome, and, and hopefully you guys can keep connecting on the comics and stuff like that. It's really ding-dang delightful, if you ask me. All right, it's time to wrap it up now. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Giganto. Whale, whale, whale. What fun we have with Giganto, the giant whale. Goodbye. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.